0: All right and hello everyone. Welcome to yet again another episode of the Unplugged podcast by the Athlete Tech Group. I am your host Randy Osei and today we are joined by entrepreneur and CEO of Toronto-based tech startup analytically Robin Halbot. Robin how are you doing today?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I am doing well. It's been a long one. We're we're trucking away, we're, you know, generating content, having great stories. I've been trying to figure out what is our, like, what is our, what is our, you know, our tagline, you know, for the podcast and for the events. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what I've been spending my day doing today. How about yourself?
1: Uh, well, today we're, we're building a, an add-in for our product in Excel. So I'll be honest today. I've been spending a lot of time in Excel. Looking at different mm. features we can offer. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit about Analytically. Um, you know, how long has it been around? What does it do? What makes it special? So on and so forth.
1: Sure. So Analytically is a startup that I formed in uh, late 2018 with my co-founder, Justin, Justin Balan. And what we do is we provide explainable optimization models and actionable what-if scenario analysis. Mm -hmm. So I know it's a mouthful. Basically, we allow organizations to take their financial data, load it with third-party external data into models that allow their analysts to make better decisions for the company. What's different about us is that we're actionable and by that, I mean, when we generate a result for an analyst, they can see exactly what steps they need to take to execute on that scenario. So a lot mm. of companies in our space focus on building uh, bigger, better, more accurate models which, with as much data as possible. We take a different approach. We focus on providing scenarios that are easy for users to interact with and help them focus on executing.
0: Wow. So understanding data and helping people optimize the data to make better business decisions.
1: Exactly. Lay out the steps to execute on it and actually do something with it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Now they say, Never waste a good crisis. How has the pandemic shaped your business and its strategy?
1: Uh, I would say the pandemic has definitely changed our business strategy. So we are a B2B product. And right now it's very difficult for organizations to focus on any kind of new projects or entertain sales calls. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, businesses have gone into survival mode. And so our strategy has also been to focus on surviving. Mm-hmm. So we've reduced our product scope to something that can be maintained with a small team and a relatively low cost. We're building strong, uh, a strong partnership with a local consulting company. Mm-hmm. And we're emphasizing a product that companies uh, can implement with a small footprint. So they can test our offering without having to incur significant training or maintenance or cost.
0: Mm. Wow. So you're 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 cutting down costs, increasing productivity and making it a lot more simple.
1: Yes, definitely simplifying. Yeah. Yeah. For ourselves internally, but then even for the companies that we're pitching.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now before we dive deeper into business, I I, I wanted to just you know hear a little bit about who Robin how about is. Okay. Um, so, you know, share with us where you were born, um, uh, some of the things or hobbies you like to do growing up, um, and then kind of drive us to how, you know, we got to analytically.
1: Sure. So my background's a little interesting. Uh, so mm-hmm. I grew up in a, a rural farming community outside of Toronto called Caledon. So growing up, I didn't have access to much of anything in terms of opportunities. Uh, you know, we didn't even have cable TV. We didn't have internet. Closest house was a kilometer away from me. So I, as soon as I could work, I worked as much as I could. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of hobbies. I worked full time. I even did my high school through correspondence. So I did everything from data entry. I was uh, helping local mechanics on cars. I did car body work carpentry. So I'm also the first person in my family to go to college or university. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew I wanted to graduate high school. I wanted to go on and do bigger and better things, but I had no blueprint or model for what that looked like. So I ended up going to uh, a local college because I had a bursary and they paid for my first year tuition. And I knew I could pivot that into a degree at the University of Waterloo. So it's primarily why I pursued a biotech diploma at Seneca. And then that turned into a genetics degree at University of Waterloo. I had a great experience. And when I left there, I did research for Mount Sinai in Toronto. I did a very brief stint as a summer student. And I enjoyed working in that lab but I felt very removed from making an impact and like I said I didn't really have a blueprint I just sort of took the opportunities as they came so a lot of research in that field it gets published in papers it never becomes productized or hits the market so I took a break after undergrad and I applied for many jobs in Toronto and I was sort of stuck in this gray area as a mature student with a bachelor's in biology, pretty much every interview I went into was a dead end or a low mm-hmm. paying job. So I ended up taking a sales job for a software company. And okay. I found myself yet again, uh, selling to customers, interacting with customers. I found it was very rewarding for me to work with customers, solving their problems. And yet, the logic and all the systematic approaches I learned in science really helped me separate from the crowd. So I was very quick to learn hardware configurations for enterprise servers and storage arrays. I was very good at taking complex concepts, distilling them down to simple explanations and uh, pitching them to customers. So I realized I'm just better suited in customer facing role, but I wanted a path for strategy. So that led me to my MBA.
0: Your MBA was in innovation and technology.
1: Correct. Right? Okay. So I, yeah.
0: So at what point did you decide, to, so I guess at that, after your MBA, you decided to pursue your entrepreneurial passions. Was that the point or did something happen that led you to that point?
1: Yeah. So as part of my MBA, I, I was in a co-op program and I got experience with the corporate world. And uh, because I had a biology background, I was originally looking at going into pharmaceuticals. But even Mm -hmm. in my first pharmaceutical placement, I ended up uh, building a database that was doing price mining and coming up with pricing strategies for the uh, the pharmaceutical company. So I went into consulting through my MBA I started building financial forecasting and planning models for corporations through a couple of companies I worked in. And I saw there was a lot of pain points that weren't being properly addressed. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the timing, when that company I worked for was acquired, it seemed like a good opportunity in my career to start something on my own. So I was in a situation where The consulting company I worked for had been acquired by KPMG Canada. I was in the middle, I was sorry, in between a lot of my projects. And uh, I had met somebody who was open to being a technical co-founder. I had a fair amount of savings. So I knew I could go for a couple of years without a salary. And it just seemed like the right time to uh, try a startup. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And what, what year was this?
1: Uh that would have been twenty seventeen.
0: Twenty seventeen. So, so just January, three years ago. Yeah, three not years not years that ago. long ago. Wow. No. <laughs> wow. 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 Now, um, <clears throat> you know, your your product lives within Excel. Um, how important is this feature given the abundance of analytic tools available on the market?
1: So we've tried different front-end experiences for our product. We've gone through a couple of iterations. So we originally had built an add-in for Shopify. We have a standalone front-end, and now we're building an Excel add-in. So I think because we're a startup in a niche space, Excel gives us an advantage because it's something organizations are already familiar with. Pitching to customers in the past was a challenge for me because our platform was unknown and the user interface for us can be very dependent on the type of industry a company belongs to. Mm. So for example, companies refer to their product segmentation, their financial metrics, even their organization's structures can be completely different from one industry to the next. And that changes the way that they're going to generate scenarios and interact with their data. So in many of my demos, I would be spending a significant amount of time just explaining how our interface works and how it would relate to users in their particular industry. And I would spend very little time focusing on how our models deliver value. So the benefit of Excel is that the user's already familiar with the front end. I can get right into how the models deliver value. And because we're using their existing workbooks, I'm not moving them into a foreign world or an application. It's a lot easier for them to relate to how we can help them make better decisions without a massive learning curve. So I think even with all of the great tools on the market, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more great tools to come. Excel is always going to be a staple in every organization. And uh, it's, it's always gonna be a benefit to the users to be able to quickly pick up a new tool without that learning curve that comes with a new interface.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, for me, you know, Excel there's
1: a lot of formulas.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> I've never been a big numbers guy. So when I see Excel spreadsheets, I'm like, oh Lord. <laughs> but you know, the way of the world and where the world is going, um, you know. Uh, social dilemma everyone's been talking about and and data and, and data unit um, usage and so on and so forth in your opinion um, and seeing that you know the world has gone into this more of a uh, digital world why has you know data become so important for And if you're an entrepreneur that has a small business, you know, how does, how will data affect you and help your small business?
1: I think data has become so important because it's easy, it's become more accessible. So Mm -hmm. for a long time, for any kind of organization to have a digital infrastructure, it was very costly. Mm-hmm. really only the biggest of the biggest companies could build and maintain infrastructures and then on top of it there was a lot of uncertainty around governance and security of data mm-hmm. this is really this has changed quite a bit in the past couple of, of years data has become so much more accessible to companies of all sizes and It's important because the world that we're in is becoming increasingly volatile, uncertain, and ambiguous. So in addition to the fact that technology has come down in cost and it's more accessible, there's that many more solutions out there. There's that much more competition. And I interpret it as there's that much more uncertainty and volatility in most markets. There's always gonna be some markets that are just unaffected by these things because they're mainly contract driven. They have you know 10, 20 year contracts with one customer and that sort of thing. But for the majority of us out there, the world is changing so fast. And whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're building a startup, whether you're in a Fortune 500 company, your success is largely determined by how quickly you can make decisions, how efficiently you can execute, and how accurately you can anticipate where that market is going, the best mm. way we can do that today is by taking into account the data that we have abil- we have uh, the, the data that we can use to make those decisions.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, you know, I never really thought of it like that, you know, with volatility, more competition, um, things being a lot more uncertain and, you know, things constantly changing. You're really, you're really shooting in the dark when when you're putting stuff out there. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the big things, you know, for, for, for uh, startups and and, and tech companies is testing. You want to put something out there, test it, understand it. How is it received? Finding your market fit optimizing this, optimizing that. So um, data is going to be one of those things I feel, you know, I, and obviously converse, uh, conversing with, with Robin um, over the past couple of weeks is really just trying to understand it. You know, here at ATG, we're we have a lot going on um, from producing content, our podcast, our newsletter, our events, our webinars, there's a lot of different things happening. So it it's 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 very important for us to figure out what our key drivers are, you know, what helps our business grow. How do we continue to make money and how do we optimize the way that we make money so we can continue to make money? And it's working with companies such as analytically. And I would like to call you a data scientist. Am I allowed to call you that?
1: <laughs> no, not at no? all. My <laughs> co-founder but even my co-founder, I would call him a mathematician before I would mm. call him a data scientist. I'm yeah. definitely more business. I'm more business. yeah.
0: But hey, you're making it make sense through numbers. You're definitely <laughs> making it sense. Making it make sense through numbers. Now there's all this talk of digital transformation, and now's the time for you know businesses to move quicker. Where do you see this whole transformation movement fitting in the world of data? So now you know I just talked about people. Making space for data in their lives. Um, and, and you know, this question more so like how does the rest of the world now fit into data?
1: So I think digital transformation is really the catalyst of what we're hearing these days, the, the data driven culture. So I mean, data was almost always thought as something highly confidential that you could almost use it as a weapon against the company if it fell into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. I think digital transformation is, is really being driven by a different generation of people who want to see data shared for collaboration. Mm -hmm. So I think really it's bringing a new thought process that removes that personal element of decision-making. It encourages teams to be more objective It encourages them to share and collaborate with each other. I think, again, it's just making it more accessible to everyone in the company instead of belonging to a select few that would sort of hold the keys to the data of the organization. Mm.
0: Very interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Select few. Now, you talk about this generation that, that wants to see collaboration. Why is collaboration important? As, as we move forward, like we're not even allowed to be together right now. <laughs> but why is collaboration important?
1: Yeah, maybe physical collaboration, <laughs> physical groups and all that, maybe that's yeah. not so encouraged right now. Uh, but I think, so collaboration, so I'm really big on execution, although uh, I, I definitely can be better at it. I think collaboration and execution go hand in hand. And so, mm-hmm collaboration is important for any kind of organization to be able to act as one unit and execute on their strategy so that's why i'm a big proponent of collaboration in the past though if data isn't shared a lot within a company it's very easy for people to incorporate their own human bias and judgment into their decision making and uh, in some companies, you almost see it, it's almost like a power move. You know, the, the more that you keep the data to yourself, the more that you can be the one to have those opinions and use that judgment to move yourself up within the company. I think collaboration removes all of that. It removes all of those weird behaviors and politics that can form in companies that the sort of reward people, uh, keeping things close to their chest, keeping uh, not secrets, but sort of keeping ownership over what I would argue is a company-wide asset. So it's that shift towards data, in particular, being a company asset that the whole company can benefit from, mm. not just something that the individuals can use to promote or elevate themselves within the company if that makes uh, sense
0: 100 percent.
1: yeah okay
0: yeah data is an asset the same way that we look at buildings and laptops as assets um data should be viewed the same um mm. from what i took from that um as well data wow Interesting, interesting, interesting. I think, you know, as, as people continue to um, listen to this podcast, they learn. And every time I talk to Robin, guys, I learn. You know, she's, she's a, a wealth of knowledge. She's definitely helping us over here at ATG, like I said, understand what the hell it is that we're doing. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the macroeconomic drivers that Analytically uses are you seeing any drivers in the market that we may not normally think of that are having massive impacts to financial forecasts currently? So before you answer that question, Mm -hmm. can you please give our listeners a couple of examples of macroeconomic drivers?
1: Sure. So the kinds of macroeconomic indicators we look at would be anything that you would see on Uh, a national or a global scale. So the big ones that we look at are things like uh, the GDP of a certain country, even things like certain indices that might drive the cost of raw materials. Some of the other indicators that we look at are income tax rates, uh, new housing permits, Mm. they can really cover any kind of indicator that is built on uh, economic or financial data for a particular region or location. So we're actually partnered with a local company in Toronto, their name is Quandl Mm -hmm. and they have thousands and thousands of indicators that we have access to. So right now in a typical scenario for the United States, our models might look at over 3,000 different macroeconomic indicators. Okay.
0: 3,000. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, so I guess, are you seeing any of these drivers in the market that we may not normally think of that are having massive impacts to financial forecast currently?
1: So we're, We are still looking for our first customer. So I can't really speak to that in Mm -hmm, terms mm -hmm. of a project or a customer we've worked with. Mm -hmm. I would say right now, it's one of the exciting things about what we're doing is I I can't wait to start running customer data and see what kind of correlations that come up. Mm -hmm. We have validated our models with customer data. And what we've found so far is that the indicators that were the largest drivers or the largest influencers of customer data were what they expected. So Mm -hmm. that's twofold. The one one part of that is that it helps validate that our models make sense. So we're Mm -hmm. not suggesting anything that the company is saying "That's, that's crazy. There's no way that's even related to our industry. The second part of that is that in the past, although companies may have had a gut feel that those indicators were affecting their financials. So for example, in the case of uh, one of the companies we validated data with, we found that consumer spending, consumer credit changes, uh, unemployment rates, and retail sales month over month were the biggest drivers of their data. Although they may have known that intuitively and they had a gut feel that that was the case, they never had access to that kind of data. And so they weren't able to go out and get the annual numbers for something like consumer confidence or the consumer price index and incorporate those values into their scenarios to help them make decisions about where to go next with their strategies.
0: Right. Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. Now, you know, there's, there's internal data, there's external data and there's, you know, public, private, so on and so forth. What is it about looking at external data that gives a, a company an advantage in how it performs?
1: Yeah. So this idea of external data is definitely not new. And there's a lot of literature out there about how companies that incorporate external data outperform their peers. Mm-hmm. So uh, even some stats I have from KPMG, you know, companies that leverage external market intelligence outperform their peers f- by 20 to 200%. And I think wow. the, the difference there really goes back to what I was saying about uh, uncertainty and volatility. So bringing in external data, it helps remove human bias. Because we deal with a lot of uncertainty in business, it's, it's more so the ability for the company to anticipate changes in the market that helps it identify where to execute its strategy so it can move the company forward, uh, hopefully better than its peers, right? To build a competitive advantage. So external data is able to help that company look outwards and look outwards in an unbiased way. Traditionally, companies have always looked inward. They've always looked at their historical data and use their historical data to build the foundation of their strategy or their projections going forward. But the problem is, well, there's two big problems with that. The one obvious problem Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of the future. So we've seen that with recent events with the pandemic. right? And then before that, there was the the financial crisis in 2008. So we know historical data is not always going to take into account future events that are unpredictable, they're uncertain. But the second part of it is that when you look at historical data only, It's very easy for you to develop groupthink and confirmation bias. So for example, the company may have been very successful in a particular market with uh, their product, but that may have just been the result of you didn't have sufficient competition in your area. If you're not careful and you always look inwards, you could develop a confirmation bias to think, our product is really successful because we're really just that good. We're good at right. what we do. We know how to build this product. We understand our customers. Without looking outward, you might not realize, no, you were really just the only ones around. Right? <laughs> or, you were really just the only ones who were actively campaigning and reaching out to your customers. And we see this with corporations that were very successful you know, 20, 30 years ago, but then they didn't keep up with the times. They didn't adapt. And uh, it's my, my personal opinion that that happens because they're very focused on what made them successful in the past and they're not being objective about where those successes came from. When mm-hmm. you bring in external data, it, it's right in your face. You, you can't ignore it.
0: Right. Right. Externally. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So it's getting rid of you're reducing chance of failure by understanding what the hell is going on essentially. At what stage do you think a a small business should be um, paying attention to, you know, to some of these things that we're talking about here?
1: I think it largely depends on where you're at in the, the life of the company and how much your business depends on competition. So if, for example, if you're a one person shop, so right now, for example, I live in a small town outside of Toronto, there's one lawyer in town. I don't think this lawyer really needs to take into account, you know, GDP, consumer personal spending. He's the only guy in town, unless they're going to go an hour away, they're probably going to use him. So when we talk about small business, it it depends on the the uncertainty in your market. And it also depends on where you are in the life of your market. So in his case, it's a very certain market for him. As long as he just keeps his customers happy, he probably doesn't need to be looking at external data. But if he was trying to expand his market reach, if he was going to now try and go into a different area, then it makes sense for him to look at external data because now he's increasing the uncertainty in his strategic planning. He's taking into account, he's gonna have to take into account more unknowns. He's gonna have to decide where is the most logical place for him to target. So that's an example of if you have a lot of certainty in your market, if you have a high amount of validated information, you probably don't need to look at external data. If there's a high amount of uncertainty, or if there's very little information that's accessible to you, bringing in external data can help you, help enlighten you on um, where where you're probably best suited to go with your strategy. The lifespan of the company also makes a big difference. So for example, in the case of startups, I know one of the things that startups are very encouraged to do in the beginning is a ton of research. Right. And I agree with that. But the downside is that if, if you don't have a solid product, if you don't have a solid identity for your company, doing a ton and ton of research can actually uh, almost be like overload for you right. because you have so many options right? You have all of these, um, flashy opportunities. So it's definitely good to have that external data. So you're aware of what your prospects are. You're aware of what your competition is, but you definitely want to have a product. You want to have an identity. You want to know where you're going so that you can leverage external data in the right way to make, to make your decisions. So essentially what I mean by that, you want external data to supplement or complement your decision making. You don't want to lean on, your, on external data to make the decisions for you.
0: Interesting. Wow. So data is important. What you're saying is data is important, but it needs to be used at the right time. It may be too early. It may be too late. It uh, also pay it uh, also um, some of the factors that you were talking about were your industry and who's in your market and so on and so forth so mm-hmm. it sounds like you just got to make sense of the data and and make it make sense for you and your company when it's time essentially
1: correct and you want to you want to supplement your execution with it so i know analysis paralysis is i guess is the big the saying i'm thinking of you don't want to bring in so much external data or even data from any sources to the point where you're just, you're paralyzed. You want to supplement your execution. So for that to work, you you have to have some kind of a clear strategy. You have to understand why you're looking at the data and what your goals are, and then make sure you complement it.
0: And supplement your execution, making sure that you. Con- Sorry, I'm just taking notes. <laughs> as much as we're recording, I'm learning. I'm taking notes. <laughs> no, thank you so much for this, Robin. Um, uh, oh, shoot. We're literally, well, maybe I'll, I'll ask this. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the movie Moneyball, and yes. they, you know, use data to make business decisions, essentially the same thing. Um, I'm also in the world of marketing. Um, how do you see the use of data helping companies with their marketing strategies, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, so money, Moneyball is a great movie, it's a mm. great book. It's a great application of this because what I, what I liked about Moneyball, which I think applies to marketing, is that it? removed they remove the noise of the selection process. So there was a lot of. Well, say
0: that again. Say that again.
1: They remove the that. noise of the selection process. So it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but from what I remember, they selected their players based on stats that indicated mm-hmm. good performance. They didn't select players based on personal opinion.
0: Yeah. So just to remind everyone, so Moneyball. Um, they normally baseball, they look at, you know, your, your batting average and how many home runs and doubles, um, in Moneyball, uh, is it Brad Pitt? Yeah, Brad yeah. Pitt, Brad Pitt, you know, works with this junior, this junior, uh, assistant and says, let's focus on guys that can just get on first base. That's all he cared about. And he simplified it to the point where everyone thought he was crazy. And until it started working. Um, and I think that that speaks exactly to the point that you just made. It, it, it removed the noise from um, making the correct decision, which I think is absolutely monumental because um, there is a lot of noise. Uh, you know, when we, when we watch, you know, the social dilemma, you know, misinformation gets spread six times before we get the truth. So how do you really know what's out there? All right.
1: Yeah, I mean, Social Dilemma is kind of a scary documentary for that because it really mm-hmm. makes you appreciate how much of marketing is catered to polarizing the audience. Mm-hmm. So it, in the case of, of marketing, I think I think external data and being able to run these, mach- these models to do scenario analysis and whatnot they're going to help you filter out that noise. So in Mm -hmm. my opinion, that would be the goal. There's a lot, again, marketing is one of those industries. You can get very caught up in personal opinion. And if you go, or if you go the analysis route, you can get very caught up in analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of platforms out there. There's a lot of metrics, everyone has an opinion of what you should be focusing on. I think the ability to be able to distill that down into key drivers and run very simple scenarios that take into account external data that's relative to your market will just make it easier for you to focus on what are the goals that you're trying to achieve and what data or user interaction is helping you move closer to those goals. Mm-hmm. So I know one of the things about marketing is that we can get very caught up in engagement. And I kind of liken this to the, in the beginning of the startup world, you tend to get really caught up in networking. Mm-hmm. Just you love your idea, you love your product, you just want to tell it to everybody. You're going to all these networking events and meetups, you're just talking about your idea constantly but you tend to be talking so much that you're not really listening. You're not really getting feedback. And I think marketing kind of has a similar track with engagement. You can be really focused on, Oh, we're getting so much engagement. We're getting so many likes, we're getting so many views, but if you don't have a strategy to take that engagement and translate it into dollars, Right? You're no different than that startup founder that's just bouncing from meetup to meetup to meetup, talking about their idea all the time. Mm. They're not actually selling it, they're not actually getting customers, and they're not getting feedback from the market that, um, that they can use to build their company to identify what problem they're solving. So wow. I look at marketing the same way. Uh, I have in the past run Facebook campaigns I've, I've limited experience, so take everything I say with a grain of salt.
0: <laughs>
1: I found it's easy to get into that trap where you think, oh, I'm getting engagement. This is great. People are clicking, people are liking. But as we saw with the social dilemma, marketing has become this very psychological, habit inducing platform. So you'll have people clicking just because a notification came up on their phone. It's not because they're interested. It's not because they're target market. It's not because that's gonna translate into dollars for you, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I I think the benefit of external data and having scenarios, you know, in my case of analytically are easy to use scenarios and all that stuff, it will force you to think about, so what are my drivers? what am i trying to accomplish and then what are the optimal actions that i take to achieve that goal so if that goal is dollars right you can step it back and say okay where are those dollars coming from say we're marketing a product those dollars come from because somebody buys the product and then we think about well how do we optimize the actions that those leads have to take to then buy the product. You might find out engagement has nothing to do with it. You might find your ads that have five people clicking and actually going all the way through to your cart and making a purchase are far more profitable for you than the ads that you have 5,000 people liking it, but they don't follow through on anything. They don't actually make a purchase, right? Right. So to go back to the money ball analogy, finding out, you know, what's your first base. So identifying that particular driver that's going to to be the, the driver of your goal, in this case, making money it's very easy to get caught up in the engagement and think it's engagement. But I would argue more often than not, it probably has very little to do with engagement. It has more to do with identifying the right target and having so much value or being able to package your product or package your statement, your value proposition in the right way that it's irresistible for that person to just uh, to go through and either buy your product or sign up for your service.
0: Mm. Interesting. I absolutely love that. Wow, um, Robin. I think uh, we could we could we could uh, dive into you know you know your thoughts in and around how data changes so many different things. I you know, like I told you, I I watch a lot of documentaries. I watched the great hack. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, that was, that was like, wait, what happened? (laughs) Um, and, um, you know, this, this, a lot of this information is is out there and, um, I'm really excited for, you know, the next coming months and working with you and analytically and, um, helping us understand and helping you guys grow as, as things continue to move forward. Um, you know uh, you talked about uh, data is is an asset, and we're we're in a generation of that looks like that looks to collaborate more and um, you know having you on today's show was a, was a huge collaboration i've I've known you for more than a year now um, but we're, we're we're at a point now where it's like, okay, um, you no know, relationship that was built last year is is now coming into fruition so I'd like to uh, personally say thank you so much for uh, your time, your energy and, and joining us today for a, for a great conversation on uh, data, just data, Let's just talk data <laughs> and how important it is. So thank you so much for that, Robin. Any last thoughts before uh, we let you go?
1: No, just thank you so much for having me, and and I'm really looking forward to working together. I'm excited to get my hands on some data. So
0: Let's go. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. (laughs) All right. Well, Robin, have yourself a great day, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Sounds good. Thank you so much.
0: No problem. Thank you.